0: We are in um, Acts 18, actually. We're at the end of Acts 18, and then we'll be going into 19. And of course, we just showed that uh, little video clip. I hadn't seen it before, really. I just had turned it on a little bit before we started tonight just to see what would happen. And uh, it showed some pretty good scenes there. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to see kind of what that temple was like, and, and the ruins are still there. Ephesus, uh, you, you have a lot of ruins that you can you can look at. It. We know it was a major city, and we're convinced by that. And uh, what a place for a church. And boy, did it have a church there. And when we get into chapter 18 here tonight, we see that Apollos is um, a major character, made, plays a major role in the, the um, church at Ephesus. We know that Paul was first there. We uh, looked at it last week at as, as he had been in Corinth. Um, he was really going on his way to Jerusalem to be there at a festival, probably something like Passover. Uh, and uh, he had his, you know, he had his hair cut. He's keeping a vow, uh, but he just touched at Ephesus, went to the synagogue, preached the word, got things going, and then he had to leave because he was on a on a time situation. But he intended to come back and he definitely did. He said if the Lord Lord wills, uh, he'll be back. And uh, of course it was God's will. And that's what we see in 19. But in the meantime, in chapter 18, uh, we have Aquila and Priscilla who uh, take over doing ministry there. And then Paul is going to come back. And so in the meantime, a lot of things are happening and Paul uh, will build upon that work. Apollos, Uh, Paul actually um, got it started. He planted. And then Apollos comes along and what does he do? Waters it. I think we see that uh, in in a passage in Corinth, for instance, in the Corinthians. Anyway, uh, let's look at uh, this section here. Verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed... In the way of the Lord and being fervent in the Spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. There we go. This is the ministry of Apollos. We uh, now really get to see him... In a, um, in a full way here. And, uh, of course, he had a lot to do with, uh, with the early church, and Paul was able to use him in a lot of different ways. Uh, quite a character uh, that, that he had. Um, first of all, we see he's a Jew. We know that. He's a Jew who is a believer in the Scriptures. He's named Apollos, and that is a Greek name. So he's Jewish with a Greek name. should mean something. Alexandrian by birth, Alexandria was a huge city, a major city, and it had many Jews that lived there. So he wasn't alone. He wasn't one of those few Jews that was around. It was highly populated. Uh, literally thousands and thousands lived in Alexandria. and just to be thinking about Alexandria just for a moment, you had some really good theologians that uh, came from there, even in the in the very early church. Uh, We know that there were uh, also the Septuagint was uh, really from there. That's called the Seventy. The Seventy elders got together and put together the Old Testament, not in Hebrew, but in Greek. It's a very Greek-type city. And uh, so that is a pretty good addition, to have the Old Testament in the popular language of Greek. Uh, Also, we know some of the theologians that came out of there, or many, uh, were were good, but there were many of them also that allegorized Scripture. They allegorized everything. And um, even though there is the proper time and place for allegory, only whenever God uses it, uh, we're not to spiritualize or allegorize things that are really not meant in the text. When it says it, it's very plain. God's Word is clear. You don't have to make up things that really aren't there. It, we just go with what uh, what He's given us. He's and we try to take it as literal as we can. That is a rule. That's a, Hermeneutics is, is the rule, uh, it, it can, the standard. So we have to be careful. So that's really kind of the negative end of what Alexandria uh, was about. Augustine came along a few centuries later, and actually tried to take Scripture more in a in a literal way. But he too, I think, had been um, characterized by allegory in his in his own sense too, maybe a little bit more. But he he saw the Word of God as something that just wasn't something just spiritual and over everybody's heads, and oh, it really doesn't mean this; it means this. That's how the, the theologians would take that. But Anyway, Alexandria, it's good to know a little bit about. Uh, he um, coming from a city that was very cultured, and so therefore uh, some of the, the gifts that he has, uh, we know that God uses that, and he is taught very well, and he's very well instructed there. So whenever he went out, he knew the Old Testament very well, and then he, when he learned about the Messiah, he definitely um, used that. Um,
1: I'd like to get on that conversation. What's that? i like to with the, When they took him aside, and told him about the scriptures. About yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, he uh, somehow winds up in Ephesus, uh, Alexandria, um, pretty good ways away. But uh, there he is, and we see how God uses that. And this is uh, that great city of Ephesus, another major city, and the largest city in uh, Asia, it said, right, mm-hmm. at that time. And it says what? He's a a what kind of man? An eloquent man. Uh, He's a man of excellence. Uh, He's gifted. He's godly. He's very gracious. The word there is eloquent. It probably defines it the most. Uh, He's very fluid. Uh, He is... um, The word there is logios. And you've heard of logos, reasoning. Uh, Of course, that's the divine reason. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word, or Lagos, was God. The very divine reasoning. Well, he's one who was eloquent. Or is, um he's an orator. He's able to speak. And he's able to bring out uh, the Word. He's a learned man. An eloquent man is who he is. So he, Not only does he have knowledge, but it's also indicating how he communicates. And that's what uh, Logos is about, or Logios, being able to communicate. God communicated with man through what? The Word, or the Greek would say, the Logos. They spoke about the Logos all the time. And so when John wrote the Gospel of John, he starts off with what? In the beginning was the Word, or the Logos. And so he went right to a culture that was Gentile, that used that word, so often in the other religious aspects that he uses the word and uses it for what we know and in, in the New Testament today is so powerful. He was probably without equal as a speaker. Um, as for speaking, probably better than Paul. And Paul was probably the greatest New Testament preacher there is, but this this man is quite elegant, eloquent in uh, being able to deliver it. A very learned man, very intelligent, and uh, so that's that's quite something. Whenever we see that, um, I don't think he has any peers above his way of being able to deliver uh, the the gospel.
2: Maybe he was like the
0: I believe so. Like that. Yeah, as a giant. Yeah, you you definitely have to put him up there. We don't hear too much about Apollos, but that's a good that's a good thought. How come? Well, we see right here the, uh, at, at Ephesus, which is one of the greatest churches in the New Testament era there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um if we went to um well, I was quoting from um chapter 3 verse 6, I I think uh in 1 Corinthians if uh, we turn there we see that Paul says I planted Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. (laughs) It's always God. But he uses instruments. These are good uh, lessons for us uh, because we have to keep carrying the Word on. And uh, we too want to see people come to the Lord like, uh, of course, they were doing there. It's just huge numbers at that time. but. So he was building a foundation. You know, there he is watering along with what Paul had laid down. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 4.6, um, you get another mention there of Apollos, as Paul mentions him at 4.6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Now in Corinth, that's what they were doing; they had they were full of pride. And uh, but anyway, he uh, he mentions Apollos there as one who ministered alongside him, or whenever Paul was not there, he was there, and vice versa. So Paul actually worked through and in Apollos. What a what an impact he made on him. So, there's a key word there. I have all sorts of key words here that I uh, really want to shout out here tonight. So, Logios, eloquent man. They came to Ephesus. We know about that. So, there he is. He's there. He was mighty in the Scriptures. Does that that stand out? Mighty. He's powerful in, um, in the Word of God. And I believe the word there is dunitas. When you think of dunatas, what are you thinking of? Dynamite, dunamis, right? Dunamis, dynamite, powerful. I think it's powerful.
1: Scripture says and say that about him. The word mm. of God itself says Yeah,
0: word of God I'm says that in,
1: in
0: he was might, he was powerful. Uh, more powerful than a bomb in the scriptures. But the word of God is what what is powerful, but he was able to preach it in a powerful way that really made an impact there. And um, then it says, this man had been what? Instructed. Mm -hmm. And you have to like this word here um, because it is a word that deals with katekeo, which we get our word catechism. And a catechism is you have a line where there's a question and then you have the answer. You have a question, then an answer. And you repeat it over and over and over and over. It's a, it's a way to learn. And that's what uh, happened to him. He was catechized in the way of the Lord. And that's speaking of the um, the Old Testament. He was uh, instructed or catechized in what the Old Testament was about. Of course, the New Testament hasn't come together yet, right? But it's being put together as they spoke. <laughs> As Luke um, followed them there, and was with them, and so the way of the Lord is talking about whatever you know what is right in uh, g- godly uh, teaching. So it's repetition, repetition, repetition. You can't can't get enough. You can say I think I've got that down, you know. Just when you think you have that down, then something else over here you kind of forget. We have to keep looking at it. That's why we keep reading the Word of God. Keep keep going. Keep renewing the mind. Right. So the information that he got from, let's say, somebody like Paul, uh, even Aquila and Priscilla, which you know gave him even more input, um, you know he, he got down. But he had been already taught and instructed in the way. I mean, he had the Old Testament down. Uh, he just needed a little bit further uh, instruction. Now that's a difference between him and Paul. He was instructed. He was taught that. Paul got. Inspired. Inspiration. God breathed. Um, Christ taught him himself. The Holy Spirit taught him directly. Now, we're like Apollos. We have to learn like him to, you know, to go over and over in a repetition and, and just keep trying to get it into our minds. And so that's, um, that's something. You know, He learned at the feet of some pretty uh, powerful teachers all along the way. Paul was actually isolated. Whenever he was in Arabia, he was by himself, and God uh, gave him direct information. That's inspiration. That's uh, Word of God. He wrote what so much of the New Testament Paul did. So um, we see here that uh, verse 25. He struck the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, and the word there is zeon, and it's dealing with uh, Fervency. Uh, I mean, with with kind of goes along with that mighty in scripture. Um, it, it, there's a life to it. So he's he's very fervent. It's a good word, good translation. Um, wow! Somebody's doing their own music out there. <laughs> um He was speaking and teaching accurately. And the word there is Akrabas Akrabos. Akrabos. We get accurately or uh, with perfection. uh, Exactness. Pinpointed right on it. I mean, everything that he taught that he knew, he he got so precise. Right on the point. Very good. I mean, it, it... that's uh, pretty amazing at that time. And this is before Paul comes along. Uh, so what he taught was right. He, there were just some things that he needed to uh, be, be beefed up on. He didn't know anything but the baptism of John. He didn't know about the baptism uh, of Christ. And so it was concerning, you know, he, he taught about Christ, the things concerning Jesus, but he's only acquainted with the baptism of John. And John's baptism was of repentance. Baptism of repentance. Whereas the baptism of Jesus is regeneration. John's looked forward to the time of the baptism of Christ. And that's what he did. He prepared the way. Whereas when... Christ had already been there. It is now present time. It's not future time that's going to come. It's 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 now, and uh, he didn't know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he only knew about this baptism that uh, that was to come, and uh, he did know about the Messiah and that he you know in that sense. But he um, was really uh, is the baptism of anticipation. Bab, the baptism of accomplishment is by Christ. It's been accomplished, it's been done. But um, he's speaking out. It says um, he began to speak out boldly, and the word is zeo. It's diligently um, with with all the effort that he has, intense. Zealous, I think a word "zeal comes out of Zeo, very fervent or boldly, it's related to that same fervent spirit they have in verse twenty five here in twenty six he began to speak out boldly um, loudly. Um, so anyway, um, he's making an impact upon the whole uh city. Anybody that was listening to him, they would be able to hear him. But he's in the synagogue. That's where the Jews are at. He felt very comfortable there. Remember, he is a Jew. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained him the way of God more accurately. Akrabas. So he was missing some things. He really didn't know about that baptism of John. Of course, you get into chapter 19. And we might just explain that a little bit further when we get there because Paul runs into 12 disciples and they didn't know anything about the baptism of Christ. Um, so the baptism of John is what people around this area had heard of, getting ready, repenting, but yet not the completeness of who Christ is and having, having the, the very completeness of the cross.
1: Right. What
0: well, it, it involves the Holy Spirit.
1: Yes. Well, learned he was. Well, was never going to arrive to that he that Jesus Christ had died for sins. And
0: God had His people there that He needed to be able to get Him uh-huh. from the the Old Testament time period. There's a transition that's actually been crossed already, but He is back into the Old Testament time period. John the Baptist. Even though he appears in the New Testament, really is an Old Testament character. He was the greatest of any man, it said. But greater are you, as as you know, in the sense that being in the church, we we have the completeness, the fullness. So he spoke about Jesus and his coming, and that coming baptism of uh, the Holy Spirit with fire. Um, so you know John the Baptist prepared that way, and so they they he was missing some things that he vastly needed, as well as these other guys that paul 's going to run into but uh he powerfully refuted the jews let 's say i 'm going to twenty seven when he wanted to go across to Achaia. The brethren encouraged him, right there in Ephesus, and wrote to the disciples in Achaia to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Notice that in there. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I think that word um, powerfully refuted the Jews is a key word there too. Now, he wants to go to Achaia, or actually, you know where that's at, don't you? Back to Corinth. Paul had left there, and also Priscilla and Aquila had left there, and some others, and now some of the people at Ephesus, the disciples that are there, and the believers that are there, along with himself, wants to go to Corinth. Paul had been there, now, he's he's at Ephesus, but he's going to go to Corinth and fill that. And they would write letters, back at that time anyway, to um, show the validity. They're not just going to have anybody come there. They have to have uh, been evaluated that this guy's not a false teacher coming in. This guy is powerful in the scriptures and, and he can help. Well, he helped mightily, didn't he? Uh, he helped greatly. And so a letter was sent. Um, and they were to welcome him when he got there, and I'm sure they did in Corinth, and that would be the believers that were through grace, right? Kind of like that. But this powerfully refuted, it means vehemently. It means um, intense, very much with um, zeal, very zealous. He loudly convinced the Jews there. Loudly convinced. It does. It means convince. It means to convict. Uh, It means to refute. You might have that word in there. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. And to get it down to the very um, bottom line, it means he argued them down all the time. He argued them down. They didn't have a chance. He was so powerful. He knew it so well and with the way that he had with words and with the power of God's Spirit, nobody could challenge him. I mean, this is uh, you know, the best that the church has to offer as he comes in there. He just crushed them with his arguments. He had this Jesus being the Messiah. You know, There has to be a, a Messiah. He knew all those messianic passages. So he totally refuted them at every point. Just when they think they've got him, boom, he hits back at it again. And of course, you know how Jesus did with the Word of God. The Pharisees didn't have a chance. Just blew them away. That's what he, he's doing here. That's the idea of powerfully refuting the Jews in public. Uh, it means he just destroyed the unbelievers with the power of his preaching. Or any argument. He destroyed those arguments. Just blew them down. And of course, he helped the body of Christ at that time. The believers. Um... But boy, you wouldn't want to challenge this Apollos. Oh, he is
1: just reminded more scriptures, right? That they'd overlooked.
0: Yeah, and that's what it was. You see, he was mighty in the scriptures. And that's what he's using. That's all, all we need. We don't need anything else, do we? And uh, that's apologetics. It's, it's always, it always comes back to the Word. That's where everything is at. We can use something as a starting point, maybe open people's minds, but it, it gets into this and... Uh, my, how it can change our hearts and minds, right? He was zealous. He was powerful. And, and, and I like that idea that the literal meaning is to argue them down. <laughs> well, that's Apollos. That's how we're introduced to um, to him. A um, few short verses, but I think it tells a lot about who he is, doesn't it? It's amazing. I know of no other book that can describe somebody in a few sentences and pretty well get a picture of who they are that quickly. I mean, it takes it takes talent to be able to put something in a short amount of space anyway. And, you know, it takes me an hour, an hour plus, to get maybe a few verses across and I have to try to put words in there. And here it is right here. You read a few verses and the power of God's Spirit just brings it out and alive. So, I hope that uh, gives us the um the idea of who Apollos is and how God used him you know at happened. Ephesus and at Corinth. You
3: know how far he went the came with the
0: yeah. Not only uh, not just except for what Paul kind of mentions about him and of course he was uh, used in that in the early church there. We know that. In chapter 19 now, it um Really, there's really not a break here because we're in Ephesus. It's, it's already been introduced. Paul had been there. He was there for a very short time. Got on the boat, left. And I'm sure on his mind all the time is, I can't wait to get back to Ephesus. And by that time, Apollos is gone. You see how God is maneuvering and, and bringing His people at the right place at the right time? Man, they had Apollos. They had Paul. They had John the Apostle, Timothy, all those guys that preached there, Polycarp, who was uh, one who was right underneath John, the Apostle, right into the second century. My! And then in in Revelation, right at the end of uh, the first century there, we see John say that Ephesus left their first love. Don't leave the first love. Boy, did they ever have a, a great church there. But you see, we saw the video and it was there's ruins there. Huh. Not eternal, is it? The city is not. God's people are, though. Well, in chapter 19, you see evangelism, uh, evangelism. You will see empowering by the Holy Spirit. You'll see equipping. You'll see the Word of God being continued to be uh, put forth. Paul comes on the scene. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, it just happened to be this way. They need to have somebody come back in and keep teaching them, right? Paul just happened to pass through the upper country and he's going back through some areas where he's been before. He's on his third missionary journey now. We're already on the third journey as we are into chapter 19. Now what, there are 28 chapters in Acts? We're about two thirds of the way through, and I think we started right at about a year ago. I think Barb was saying that last week. Um, I'm amazed that we've gotten this far in a year. But the Book of Acts it, it reads kind of like, uh, you know, like a journal, which it is. And um, so, you know, it, it, there are doctrines here definitely, they're all over the place. But it just moves like a story, so we, we've we kind of gone through it a little bit quicker. If we went uh, like we do some of the epistles, we would never get out of the book of Acts before Christ comes back, probably. 28 chapters is a long time. <laughs> uh, I've heard of people taking 28 chapters and taking about seven years to get through. There was one guy on uh, uh, Back to the Bible, uh, not Back to the Bible, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, the preacher before him at First Presbyterian. Is it First Presbyterian? In Philadelphia. Um, yeah. I don't know how many years it was. We're talking many, many years. when he, he did the book of Romans. And I'm not sure. I don't think he finished. I think he died.
2: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Romans is 16 chapters. But that's a lot of doctrine. Anyway, our text records here the establishing of the church in Ephesus. We're we're kind of getting that idea, and when you when you read the book of Ephesus or Ephesians, it really helps to think about where we have been already in Acts, and you start thinking how that started, that that foundation, the history of it is good. But you have magic arts there, of course, the temple of Artemis, um, that. You think of that goddess there. They're the Seven Wonders of the World—that that's what that place was. It was uh, more than a uh, the length of a football field. Uh, at that time, there had been nothing like that. It's four times the size of the Parthenon. People think how famous the Parthenon is. Well, in Athens, God opened the door for Paul to come in, and this is a stronghold of Satan. It really is. When you think of their temple that they had, Diana, Artemis of the Ephesians, whatever, and we see in chapter 19 and verse 20, for instance, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Are you kind of getting the idea of of this city of Ephesus? Everywhere you go out in the pagan realm, it's not Christian where Paul goes. It's Paganistic. The world is evil and wicked, and that's exactly where Christianity needs to be. It's a lost world. And so we can't expect them to be really nice places. And so, um, but the Word of God mightily prevailed. Um, Matter of fact, you have to like verse 10. This took place for two years when he taught in in this one school, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All over Asia, not only in Ephesus, but it went out to other places. And, of course, a lot of the disciples there that sat under Paul's teaching, they went out to other smaller areas in other cities and distributed what Paul had been teaching them. It was like Paul had, like, a, a uh, somewhat of a Bible college, uh, almost like a seminary there, as he taught during the day. And the word is just going everywhere. And they have magic arts. I mean, Satan loved this city, he loved to use it. And God comes in here, and this stronghold of Satan. You know, the word of God can knock down fortresses, can it? And, uh, matter of fact, that is a passage in. Uh, Corinthians chapter 10. So we we all love for God to be establishing his church. We love to hear that where things are are happening and his word is spreading mightily, even though you don't really hear a lot of that too much in our time, but we we want that to happen, don't we? And uh I think that no matter what we see, we have to just keep preaching the Gospel. Keep preaching the Word. And the reason is is because we're empowered by the same Holy Spirit that empowered these men and the early church back there in the first century. Same Holy Spirit. Keep being empowered. Get equipped. You're equipped by the Word of God. So, it says... He passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus, found some disciples. And he said to them, did you see the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we've not heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> we haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. Disciples. I have that on your outline. Disciples who believed and then a question mark. This shows you that there can be people who are learners, disciples, matitas, learners, who believe. But yet, they're not Christians yet. Um, that's exactly what is happening here. These guys really aren't Christians. They have not bab- been baptized into the Holy Spirit. and um, But yet, they are learners. They have learned the main things. They definitely know uh, the Old Testament. They've heard maybe some things about Jesus. But uh, Paul picks up on something and it's like something's not right here okay these are you know they're disciples they're, they're learners they, they might even say something about Jesus but he said uh, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit you're saying you're believers and it shows that people can believe And we have people all over the United States who believe in Jesus does that necessarily make them Christians Yeah, or their their own thoughts or whatever, um, they can they can believe a lot of things about Jesus. They can believe that, but Jesus said in John two that there were many people believing on him, but he knew what was in their hearts. Matter of fact, you get out of that and you go on right into chapter three, and who do you have? Nicodemus. Nicodemus believed Jesus really did those miracles, and he believed that he was from God. Was Nicodemus a believer yet, a Christian? No. He does become one, but that goes to show you a lot of people can have a lot of knowledge about him, but yet not truly be believers. Um, John taught John the Baptist taught that the Messiah would baptize the followers with the Holy Spirit. Go to Luke three, Luke three sixteen. John answered, and some people were asking, are you the Messiah? Right? Verse 15, John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water. And it's dealing with repentance. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's uh, a little bit different baptism into uh, Christ and um, the Holy Spirit is involved there and it really wasn't that time yet um, but anyway Paul explains to them that one of whom John had prophesied had come and namely he was Jesus and Jesus is the one and of course they might even have to explain better the death on the cross um, the, uh, the burial the, the resurrection they believed in the Messiah, in Christ. Um they have
1: a right understanding. So many of them believed that when the Messiah came in and that he would take over all the published and everything
0: else from the land. Right, and of course even the apostles right. uh believed in that too. But he's going to describe my you gotta be thinking about what the cross really means and how you're saved by grace. And uh so anyway the um, these these men um, are given truth and kind of given more kind of like what um, Apollos was given. And um, that they needed that at the right time and God brings the right one along. Um, there need to be evangelism there. Even though they believe, there are people who believe and sit in the church but may, may not necessarily be Christians. I'm not saying necessarily here but All over the world that can be. And they say, well, if they already believe and they're in church, aren't they saved? And not necessarily. The question is, is what do they believe? And that's really what Paul's going to get at here. These men believed in the message of John the Baptist. And they did believe in repentance. But they had not heard how Jesus had fulfilled John the Baptist's preaching. And he ultimately is the one and, and um, uh, we know that uh, they're, they're ready to learn. They have been learning. They're disciples. That's what Luke um, turns them there. Uh, are you a Christian? Well, of course I am. right? Of course I am. I, I'm, I'm not a Hindu or an atheist so I must be a Christian. You know, people could say here in the United States that um, these guys, they're, they're not truly saved. And Paul asked him, I think, this question as he sensed that something wasn't fulfilled.
1: Well, we have it happen. People say, well, I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, they name the name of their church denomination. And it doesn't mean that they don't have, don't want understanding, it just means that they don't understand as much as they need to, need to come to the truth. They, have to have to they
0: need to be instructed further, don't they, okay. that, about who Christ is. And I think that's really what, what Paul is, is going to get at here. And of course, Jesus said, I have to leave, but I'm going to send, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to you. How do
1: you help other people understand that? Because I come in contact, and I was one of them, so now I know. <laughs> but how do you help other people understand the, the difference? They're in a
3: church
1: setting and they think they're saved. Right. And yeah. That's judge, cool. you know, I think you engage them in conversation of what they, when you, like I say, I use an example of a comes to, you know, you, and they participate in it. You can sit and say, so you can see that they want to do something good for God. is kind of how basically I look at them. And time I can start a conversation with them on what they, if they say that they're a believer I'm going to treat them like they're a believer Mm -hmm. even if I kind of wonder if they're not like these people here I think they know something and it's just it's really it really is just talking to them about your belief in Christ and what you understand making an assumption you say you're a believer then I'm going to tell you what my understanding is what I believe in and I think that's what you do yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know that they'll. So he um, gives you your yeah, testimony of how you became a believer, and see, and that's kind of putting the ball back in their court to find out if they have that spiritual awakening the way you have. Uh-huh. Maybe I don't. I'm trying to figure figure out how to have these conversations. Do you talk to them about? Do you ask them if they have a personal relationship with yeah. the Lord? yeah I, well, the
0: I know uh, one good way to open it up i've I've read several different books of, you know about trying to just get a conversation first thing if it it depends on who that person is it might be a person that you only meet once and boom that that's it and you want to see if you can get something in and you know if you get the opportunity but if it's people that you see every day. Then, um, of course, I, I think the Lord will will allow that opportunity, and it might be, and well, it's going to be in His timing. But I, I think one of the first things to do if we get the opportunity to, to say something is, do you have any do you have any spiritual interest? And uh, the guy that wrote the book on it, I thought was was really good about it because if if they say no, and I don't want to talk about it. Then it's probably best to just leave that alone and maybe store it in your mind. Maybe another opportunity comes, but they're not ready at that time. You know, whatever it is, they don't want to talk about it. Most of the time, there'll be most people will say, "Yeah, well, a little bit or something," you know. And then that's that gets you further to I think of uh, D. James Kennedy, evangelism explosion, and uh, like the question about um, if you get them to where they have a spiritual interest, saying, "Well, um, if if you were to die." Tonight, where where do you think you would go? And they, a lot of them would say, "Well, I hope I can go to heaven." Now you you just hear that word hope. Well, the thing is, if they're saying hope, they don't know. They
1: don't know.
0: Yeah. So it, you know, if they have a spiritual interest, and in you, you can go a little bit further, you, at least you could The best thing to do is is ask uh, questions to them and see how far you can get with them. And, of course, that's what Paul said to this right here. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? he wants to get them a little bit further. Now, these guys are already believers of some sort, and they're followers, they're learners. I mean, they have, um, he has their attention. And we don't always get that. Usually it's where they don't really want to hear anything about that, and uh, they've had religion and and that. But if you get down to a point of, um, if or another question is, if, they say well i think i'm going to heaven they say well if if you were to get to heaven and god was is sitting on his throne and he would say what right do you have to enter my heaven and we know right away if they say well i i go to church a lot or well, you know all the religious things you know i did this i did that i'm i'm pretty well i'm pretty good most of the time that's what people will say now you know where they're really at because they're, they're basing it on their goodness, not on the grace of God. If, if, you know, Of course, they say, well, I don't deserve it. I have no merits. There is nothing that's going to get me into heaven except the, by the grace of God. Then we know there's, <laughs> there's one who... But if somebody's using the, the works, then we know immediately, boom, the line is already drawn. So the questions are probably the, the best thing. If somebody has passed away, a, a good friend of somebody... Uh, it may not be at that time. It depends on how close they are. But uh, saying, well, you know, saying, well, how about you? What what happens? Have you ever thought about afterlife? You know, just just that. You wouldn't even have to say, if you die tonight, what what happens after this life? Uh, just little questions. It depends on who they are. Some you can just go right on in and just start talking spiritual things. But they they think they are spiritual, and then you finally are going to get to the point of they're still relying on their own goodness. Their own efforts. Their own merits.
1: Yeah. They, they don't realize they are. Yeah, right. So for my mom, right. my mom you know, believed in the idea of It. She's going to be credited and good her goodness is going to outweigh her bad. That's what she would tell me. And so over time I listened to her and just said, how, you know, how much is good enough? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. little things like I would just say, well, what do you mean? Like seriously, you know, are you for sure are you going to rely on that? And then for her, I said, her did Nicodemus. be so he was the most credited man if there was anybody, but he, but Jesus told him he wasn't going to make it there. And there was sort things that you just do with him. Mm-hmm. If there was about Nicodemus, if the did say that yeah. to you, know what? And then that's your opportunity to say, Actually, that is what I did use when I used the example Nicodemus. Yeah. Nicodemus when Jesus was popping to Right. Yeah. But so there's got to be something else because Nicodemus, Jesus told him that mm-hmm. wasn't good enough. something more yeah. like Just the little, it's kind of a you know, little course of a conversation. Wouldn't you
0: say yeah. that it, it's it's always, if they will allow you to ask them questions, then you can see how uh, much further they wanted to go. That might be as far as you can go sometimes, and maybe later on they'll let you have another step or something, you know. It's
3: kind of an but, um, conversation with them a lot of
0: times. Yeah. And of course, they're going to see who you are. They, they know that you have some spiritual things about you, but they don't know exactly what you believe. Sometimes they'd like to know a little bit more, but they don't really let you know about it. But um, I know that there's one lady at our work. She probably, you know, she goes to church um, every time it's opened up and everything. She would be considered to, to be religious and does all their suppers and does the things that they need to do. She's always helping, but. You know when when somebody is in um, somebody maybe is in a hospital uh, or uh, one of her sons maybe having uh, problems or something she she'll come by and say yeah you know I might ask well what's going on there you know and um, you know wind up she says would uh, something like would you I want you to could you pray for him you know something like that. And, uh, you know, there's always things like that. Um, maybe they, they, you can't get them any further, but at least they know who you are and what you are, and maybe that opportunity will arise. But well, I know, it's, it's just trying to, you know, in the day and time that we're in, do you guys find it difficult
1: well, to talk a, with people? But it's called a personal relationship. Really. It's called a building of a relationship with them, too. Like you said, said that's you know, sometimes you do, you ask people about things that are going on in their lives, and that's that stepping so that you keep looking where you can talk to them... I think like if they say you keep bringing things forward Would you understand what you, you last read in Scripture or something like that or I don't say Scripture I call God's Word but what i read in God's Word and, and that's what you're told to do is really just to bring the Scriptures to people and then it's up to the Holy Spirit and there's a response sometimes that you might just be the one like Paul did he planted a seed and somebody else comes along and waters it and produces it out so it's like
0: that. yeah it's always in God's timing of course I think Bob was saying Prayer—that's where number number one starts. Being in prayer, always looking for the opportunity, you know. And of course, it's it's seeds, but uh, yeah, I, I think questions sometimes will allow us rather than just. Um, Jesus did that a lot. Ask questions rather than uh, lecturing to them about uh, you know it's just uh, what what. How do you get to heaven? When your own idea, what, you know, you, you say you believe in heaven. That's another good question to ask. Do you believe in a, in a like when you say afterlife, you say, well, do you believe in, in heaven? A lot of them probably wouldn't believe in hell, but I think right. most people like heaven, don't they? Yeah. Um, probably I'll just close it here, but uh, that deal about the baptism of the the Holy Spirit John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were all about 12 men. And these are uh, these are disciples. Happened to be 12 of them. It's kind of neat. Uh, the Holy Spirit came, and it's interesting, and I'll make it real quick and, and we'll cut here, but tongues are for a sign to the Jew. That's And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And also in the Old Testament. And here it is. The outline of the book of Acts is from Jerusalem. And that's where tongues first started. And we know that the tongues was languages because every man heard them in their own language. Every time you see that word tongues all the way on through the rest of the New Testament it's not many times after that it is that word that deals with languages that can be understood it's never some inaudible type of language that uh, is gobbledygook it, it never is but it's something that, that is meant to be understood uh, when, when it does occur now in Acts 1 you have Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8 you have the Samaritans And that's where uh, really you have the Holy Spirit baptize people. And so it's going out from Jerusalem. And now it goes to the Samaritans. And it proves to the Samaritans that the Jews, what they have, who are now Christians, is true. And it also proves to the the church there in Jerusalem that the Samaritans are now... And that was important because they were always at odds. And then it went to Acts chapter 10. And that's where you see... Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues in chapter 10. It, not in chapter 8, but it's it's implied that it probably was. Uh, chapter 10, you do see the tongues. And it's where Peter is at uh, a, a Gentile city and a whole family is there and other people are in that house. And so now it's spread from the Jews to Samaria, now on out a little bit further to Gentiles And then in Acts chapter 19, all the way out in Ephesus, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit baptism, but they did know about John's. And all of a sudden, they are baptized in the Spirit and speak with tongues and prophesy or proclaim or preach. And now that validifies to Paul that these guys are real. And it validifies to these Ephesian disciples that this Christianity is real because something miraculous has just happened. And they're speaking a language that's understood, but it was a language that they hadn't learned. And that's the idea. And he said, that's miraculous. Yeah, it is. And that's the whole intention. It's a sign to the Jews. And as a whole, on that day of Pentecost, it showed that something had happened. And so you get the whole outline all the way out to Acts 19, way out there, which is From Jerusalem to Judea to the uttermost parts of the earth. And now, look how far it has expanded now, the church, in a few short years. And you see the tongues and you see the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's a miraculous thing. And there is always a plurality involved. It's not just, and it's not that they, if you pray hard enough to get the Holy Spirit, or if you say, Hallelujah hundred times in a row, which they try to teach you. They say everyone, anybody can learn to do tongues. It's the, the Assemblies of God and Pentecostal churches will teach that. And then miss the whole point because of what happened here. Um, they weren't even doing that um, when Paul laid his hands upon them. I mean, he's identifying with them as he laid. It wasn't some kind of a magical touch, but it was a sense that he's, as he identifies them, he lays his hands the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues of prophesying. Now, if we see that whole outline of how it's gone, then the tongues now make sense and it's not some kind of a, a, a Pentecostal type event that's happening, yeah, mystical and what have you, but it, it is something that uh, proves to the church and to those individuals that were there in groups um, now that it's gone all the way out and you really don't see that happening uh, again here.
1: Can I ask a question So if they were speaking in tongues, were, did they speak in a different tongue than the most people there? That they were able then to... Do you know I'm asking you, like, the language?
3: I don't
0: know what language they're speaking. Uh, and, of course, Greek was the main language there. I um, and I have to wonder where they just these particular disciples are from? Or have they always lived in Ephesus? There was a language that they were now saying, and maybe, of course, Paul knows Hebrew. Uh, I tend to think that he definitely knows Greek. You know, he writes in Greek. Knows Hebrew, uh, probably. Probably very much more adept at Greek. There might have been another language that was given. He's able to understand. Whatever it is, they're now saying something. Maybe it's they're speaking in Hebrew
1: that's what I was kind of wondering yeah. because was say because if you're in a saying that it is a sign to the Jewish person then they have to be able to recognize what was being said right it's so yeah, be able to hear in their right. own language right. like Acts two to. To yeah. yeah it would
0: it would it would be something that they probably hadn't learned a particular language. And sometimes some have suggested that could have been Hebrew there. Uh, but we don't know. They would
3: have been more familiar. Yeah. A lot of the but
0: uh, they were all able to understand, and that's the whole key. And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, especially 14, we see that the reason for uh, any of that is be- that understanding is what the whole idea is, not some kind of mass confusion. Where it sounds like oh there's spiritual things happening. What did they just say? I have no idea. <laughs> but it must be God because it's something that we we didn't know. <laughs> well, to and
1: the it's not from the Holy It is from the other side. Right. It's cannot right. The
0: and this being the Holy Spirit. So anyway, that little outline should help you when you think of get it in your head. Acts two, Acts eight, Acts ten, and here it is all the way out now to Ephesus in Acts 19. These guys, all they knew was John the Baptist. Next thing you know, Paul says, "Um, the Holy Spirit (laughs) and uh, focuses them on Christ. That's really what the whole point is. And, um, of course, the sending of the the Holy Spirit. Paul identifies with them and uh, just like that. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they're now part of the church. So, that's um, that's the conclusion of it. So that's kind of our outline of the Book of Acts right there. It's it's reached its point where it's already gone that far out now, and uh, Ephesus being a key place. And remember, there were a lot of Jews around that area too. So assigned to the Jews. Anyway, we will um, we will close here. But uh, that's a lot of stuff right there in that little section. I probably want to went a little bit further, unless you you guys probably. Know how that developed, but it's always good to have just in case you need to defend that. Well,
1: you do run into Christians that say that you know, they believe that it's some something, so now there's a response back to them to break it down because that's what they've been
0: taught. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have an yeah. You don't have to pray for tongues
1: <laughs> to
0: get the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's unless one is, you know, it's about trusting in Christ. It's about salvation, is what it is. And being baptized and into the Spirit of God and into the Church. Well, why don't we close with prayer. Bob, you want to lead us there?
2: Sure. Heavenly Father, Your Son, our Lord, is beautiful. Oh God, Your Word is beautiful and everlasting, and Your Spirit, Lord, is the giver of life we cling to Christ his work on the cross the good news of his resurrection his death and his resurrection and that he has gone back to heaven and will in glory he will bring us uh, bring his family all to glory and that is our true sustaining hope real hope the only real hope for anyone in this world and we thank you Lord uh, not because we uh, were deserving of this but just that you uh, placed your favor upon us to uh, bring us into your family Lord uh, by Christ's merits and his merits alone Lord we live and have our being. Thank you for this meeting. Uh, bless each one here tonight, Lord. And may your word go with each one all through the rest of the week. And uh, we'll be able to share the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. I guess I remember those are sick too.
0: That's right. Yeah, Eldon, keep uh, keep him in mind as he battles the, the flu. And uh, uh, Barb, of course, she hasn't been feeling good for a lot of reasons, but she's battling stuff.
1: Where were Patty and Luke
0: tonight? I...
1: I wonder weather lines. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then that icy road, gravel road, so, you know, unsolved. <laughs>